0: The following is a presentation made at the 2022 Transcending the Israel Lobby at Home and Abroad Conference held on March 4 at the National Press Club. So I'm here to introduce Dr. Hanan Ashrawi, and her keynote speech examines what, if any, policies have changed since the Trump administration and new hope for Palestine's future. She was the first woman to be elected a member of the Executive Committee to the Palestinian Liberation Organization in 2000, I mean, yeah, 2009. She served as the official spokesperson of the Palestinian delegation to the Middle East peace process from 1991 to 1993 and participated in the 1991-1992 Madrid Peace Conference as a member of the Palestinian Leadership Committee delegation. In 1996, Ashrawi was elected and subsequently re-elected many times to the Palestinian Legislative Council. In 1996, she also accepted the post of Minister of Higher Education and Research. In 1998, Dr. Ashrawe founded and continues to serve in MIFTA, the Palestinian Initiative for the Promotion of Global Dialogue and Democracy. In December 2020, she resigned from the Executive Committee of the Palestine Liberation Organization, She called for the inclusion of more youth, women, and other qualified professionals in the Palestinian political system. Dr. Ashrawi received standing ovations after her in-person remarks at two of our previous Israel lobby conferences, but this time she'll be joining us virtually from her home in Ramallah. Thank you. Welcome to Hanan Ashrawi.
1: Thank you, everybody. It's wonderful to be with you albeit uh, virtually. Uh, I would like to thank also Belinda and Grant and everybody who made this uh, event uh, possible. And they tried their best to get me there in person, but unfortunately visa considerations and delays prevented my coming. But I will be getting a visa soon, I know. So hopefully I will be able to see you in person. Uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to address you Um, uh, among such uh, distinguished uh, speakers and exceptional company. I'm happy to be here. It is a significant uh, event, uh, after all, and uh, I participated earlier, as you just said, and I found it to be extremely invigorating and enlightening. So thank you. Of course, when we discuss anything these days, we are uh, in the context of uh, what's been happening the last week, seven, eight days, and the... uh, eruption of uh, violence uh, between uh, uh, Russia and Ukraine. And we are seeing certain shifts and changes that have exposed the the fault lines in the global system and the international system. And of course, exposed the underlying attitudes and the uh, hypocrisy of the West with the the racism and and not just uh, double standards, but multiple standards. And these global shifts, I'm sure, will be felt everywhere, particularly in our part of the world. But that is not our topic, (laughs) even though we should be discussing this. Our topic, uh, as you said, is has anything changed between um, the Trump legacy and the uh, Biden uh, assumption of of, uh, power? What has changed in U.S. policy? Now, as you all know, American policy is a continuum. It has several features that form a continuity, a continuity of uh, American positions. And among them is the standard approach of uh, the strategic alliance. Israel is our special ally. Uh, We have shared values, the Judeo-Christian traditions, as you know, and of course, unlimited economic and military support, some very visible, some uh, uh, hidden. And Israel's security as being paramount, or as they keep repeating, sacrosanct. Uh, The qualitative military edge, the QME, that has become a very uh, standard expression that Israel in the region and even beyond must maintain its qualitative military edge. And therefore, uh, the U.S. foots the bill and shares the know-how with Israel. Uh Again, the U.S. gives Israel uh, cover for its impunity, protects it from accountability. Uh, and any approach to the region is always based on uh, what Israeli priorities are and what Israeli interests are. And of course, uh, traditionally, in the last at least two, three uh, presidencies, we have had, uh, before Trump, we have had a discussion of the two-state solution no matter how flawed, but at least they discussed the two-state solution in the sense that the Palestinians would have the right to sovereignty. But uh, the uh, generally all American positions were based on the Camp David Accords between uh, Israel and Egypt, in which the Palestinians were granted autonomy or self-government, limited self-government or self-rule. So there was no agreement in which there was uh, a recognition of a Palestinian right to self-determination or to uh, sovereignty. Now Trump based many of his uh, positions and policies on the same, uh, on these principles. But he accelerated and intensified the worst of them while creating certain disruptions and diversions in in other areas and some things that are not as harmful. For example, he exhibited total disdain for international law and international humanitarian law and uh, pursued systemic violations of the law with, uh, again, an assault on multilateralism and the global rule of law, which cemented, of course, Israeli impunity and aggression. And as you know, they left... Uh, The U.S. left UNESCO and left the Human Rights uh, Council because uh, the Palestinians were admitted uh, to the membership there. They dismissed occupation or rendered it invisible uh, and not illegal since uh, the ideological component said that this is uh, Jewish territory. Uh, The settlements are not illegal. Now you'll be drinking Pompeo wine from a settlement right next to uh, Ramallah, near my house, actually. Uh, They recognized and reinforced annexation. Uh, Primarily the annexation of Jerusalem. And this is the most egregious step. Not just did they recognize annexation, they moved the embassy there. And we call it a settlement now that we have an American settlement in, in Jerusalem. Uh, They closed the the, uh, consulate in Jerusalem, which was opened in 1844 as a diplomatic mission to Palestine. So, Israel, uh, way before Israel was created, this uh, consulate existed, and it was a diplomatic mission to Palestine. They closed it down in order to uh, make any uh, representation of the U.S. purely Israeli and within uh, Jerusalem. And they recognized the annexation of the Golan Heights, the Syrian Golan Heights uh, of course i don 't uh, think that the trump settlement will will materialize, but uh, uh, I think you you have you still have the sign of Trump Heights or Trump settlement in the Golan Heights, and of course, they closed the Palestinian office in washington d c The second main feature is that they totally abandoned the pretense at the two state solution or the traditional U.S. policy to accommodate Netanyahu. It was a great uh, alliance with Netanyahu, and they said openly there's no Palestinian sovereignty or right nation. And they recognized the Jewish state in the sense that the nation-state law says there is no self-determination for anybody in historical Palestine, which we call it as Israel, except for the Jews. So they, again, were party to... Uh, Uh, quite a racist, exclusive uh, ideology. And third, they they introduced again a glaring and blatant ideological identification and components, uh, plus fundamentalism, extreme Christian evangelical uh, fundamentalism, as represented by Pompeo and Pence, extreme uh, Jewish fundamentalism, uh, Zionism, as expressed by Uh, David Friedman, and to a certain extent, uh, Jason Greenblatt when he was in office. And of course, extreme uh, Zionism uh, with uh, Jared Kushner and Ivanka. In this mix, you add racism and white supremacy, populism, and all sorts of racist positions like Islamophobia, as well as anti-Semitism. The U.S., therefore, moved from being an ally of Israel to a partner in crime, and the war crimes and crimes against humanity that Israel was committing uh, constantly. Uh, it is no longer a question of the influence of the Israel lobby or lobbies or many different pro-Israeli groups uh, and the congressional negative intervention. Now we see uh, Israelis and pro-Israelis in the White House and in the State Department as decision makers. Uh, this is uh, quite a difference. Five, they embraced the, embrace the partnership with, uh, with Netanyahu and turned it into Israel into a Republican issue. Of course, it started before with uh, Obama and the intervention of uh, uh, Netanyahu in American politics. Uh, we'll discuss this on, in, when we look at the JCPOA. But also, we see the emergence of a very bizarre phenomenon of uh, anti-Semitic Zionists. In the sense that I can be as anti-Semitic and racist as I want, provided I uh, support Israel. I'm I'm a a loyal Zionist. Along with that, there is a dehumanization of the Palestinians. The terrorism charge or the terrorism label re-emerged. And uh, it was Tillerson, I think, who refused to give us a waiver. As you know, Palestinians are always under probation. They are on good behavior. They have to prove that they deserve their rights. And so the only way that we can have some sort of dialogue or relationship with the U.S. is if we are engaged with Israel in serious, meaningful negotiations. And therefore, the State Department gives a recommendation to the president to uh, waive the terrorism uh, uh, charge and therefore to continue uh, the dialogue. And of course Tillerson did not ask for a waiver. And immediately we were not just on probation or good behavior, but we failed the test according to them. And therefore we don't deserve uh, our rights. Along with that, of course, you have the uh, legislation of the Taylor Force Act and ADCA and the legal liability and so on. So it was compiling all sorts of obstacles in order to exclude the Palestinians and to continue a process of defunding. Uh, When they defunded Palestine, They, of course, increased Israeli support. It's not just the $38 billion that the Obama administration promised. Uh, uh, The the support was, some of it visible and some not. But they defunded Palestine on infrastructure, even hospitals in Jerusalem, even scholarships to people, and so on. But they tried to maintain some sort of security support. Um, They defunded Andra, which is very serious because they were redefining Anwar by redefining the Palestinian refugee status. They adopted the extreme right Israeli definition of Palestinian refugee by saying these refugees are only those who left in 1948, which means that there are only 20 or 40,000 Palestinian refugees and not the five and a half million that. Uh, uh, And what defines as registered refugees, let alone those who are not registered. So they are also trying to dissolve uh, the the, uh, refugee issue. And they put pressure on the Arabs and other countries to defund Palestine and not to uh, give the Palestinians any assistance. And it worked uh, because uh, the, the Arabs have stopped. Until now, I think only one country gave some assistance of Jews. But the underlying principles of the uh, Obama policy were bashing the Palestinians into submission. And as part of that, we must accept or internalize the uh, fact, as he said, or the mentality of defeat. Uh, And this was something that I think Daniel Pipes uh, invented at one point. It was picked up by Jared Kushner and they said everything would be fine if only the Palestinians would accept the fact that they are defeated and they don't know and or understand the Palestinians or who we are. I mean, we may be under occupation, we may be punished daily, we may be under the most oppressive criminal regime, but we are not defeated, we have not been defeated, and we are a people who are resilient and who will persist. We will discuss this later. But Kushner's economic peace, or the prosperity to peace, and the, the Manama Bahrain conference was precisely set up in order to force the Palestinians to exchange their rights or abandon our rights in exchange for um, a few handouts and, and imaginary, imaginative handouts. And Trump's notorious ultimate deal or as is known, the deal of the century was based on that. That we don't have to have our rights, that annexation can be legalized, that Israel's control can be maintained, and you can bribe the Palestinians with uh, some minuscule support, and, and we will behave. Uh, it seems obviously, of course, they don't understand history, they don't understand the region, they don't understand Palestinian culture uh, or identity or spirit. Uh, and the, the final uh, most important thing they did was the, the regional realignment and polarization through normalization. They attempted to redefine uh, and, and reorganize the region uh, on the basis of a major rift or polarization, the sunni shiite divide. And of course, the, it started by nullifying the, the JCPOA because they had to uh, create uh, Iran as the major enemy and, and their attempts at redefining who's a friend and who's a foe, who's an enemy and who's an ally. They tried to turn Iran into a major regional enemy, uh, representing the extreme Shiites in their uh, uh, parlance, and that Israel is an ally of the moderate Sunnis. And therefore, this polarization is what has to dominate alliances in the region. Uh, And, and of course, uh, the Palestinians also paid the price. So through blackmail and bribery, They brought several countries to uh, recognition and normalization with Israel. They made peace where there was no war, which was very ironic. And in doing that, they created vertical and horizontal rifts in the Arab world, in the region, and destabilized the region. Because what they did was they rendered the Arab regimes uh, at odds with their own people, with their own public. Because the Arab people are still supportive of the Palestinian question and uh, they undermine the, the standing or, or credibility if they had any. And at the same time, they created drifts among Arab states uh, by making, by turning the Arab Peace Initiative on its head. As you know, the Arab Peace Initiative talks about recognition or normalization with Israel only after it withdraws from all. Uh, the Arab territories it occupied, and of course primarily Palestine. Uh, instead, it's exactly the opposite. <laughs> Keep the Israel as, as an occupying power, but uh, uh, give it Arab reward it rewarded. Uh, and uh, in, in doing that, they also uh, violated re- the resolutions of the uh, Arab League and weakened the Arab League as an institution, regardless of how weak or dysfunctional it was before, but now it was even weaker because they couldn't have one stand on that most basic unifying principle in the Arab world, which is the Palestinian question. Now, in doing that, they also attempted to reposition Israel as a major regional economic, political, security, military and intelligence power. This repositioning Israel is part of the Trump uh, ideology that uh, Israel has to be dominant in the region and its security is paramount, and conversely, by weakening the Palestinians, marginalizing the Palestinians, uh, separating it from its Arab context, and at the same time turning uh, it into turning the Palestinian cause into an internal or domestic Israeli issue under Israeli control. And the final aspect of this was the Abraham Accords, the choice of the name Abraham <laughs> Accords to again reinforce the ideological dimension uh, based on ethno-nationalism, but at the same time uh, normalizing Israel in the region by creating a false shared history. Uh, because there is nothing called, you know, the, the Abrahamic tradition in the region and Israel was not part of the Arab world at any point. Now, the question is, did Trump succeed in in, uh, doing irreversible or irreparable damage and what can be done? Now, there were many people who looked to Biden and said here he is now. the Biden is in power and things are going to change. Biden's promises, policies and priorities have to be assessed in, in a very candid way. Well, the promises are clear. We don't disagree on, on them because he talked about the two-state solution again and the Palestinian side, the same old formulae, uh, living side by side in peace with Israel. Uh, they also repeated that they oppose unilateral steps, annexation and settlement expansion. Notice they keep saying settlement expansion, not settlements or the building of settlements. As those settlements are there, that's fine, but they shouldn't expand. And then they talk about restoring economic and humanitarian assistance to the Palestinian people that uh, Trump stopped. But consistent with U.S. law, because there is legislation now by Congress that doesn't make that possible. And, of course, uh, the assistance to the refugees. And they said work to address the human crisis in Gaza. And then they promised to reopen the U.S. consulate in East Jerusalem, clearly, and work to reopen the PLO mission in Washington. And in some cases they said reverse Trump's destructive policies, support Israeli-Palestinian security cooperation, and work with Israeli-Palestinian peacebuilding efforts. Notice it's not peacemaking, it's peace-building, as though you can build peace under occupation. For Israel, I don't want to go into details, but Israel got the usual problem of the unbreakable bond and uh, unwavering support for Israel's security, uh, the increase in funding, opposing BDS, fighting anti-Semitism, and any attempt at delegitimizing Israel and uh, continue and develop normalization of Israel within the region. Now, there was, <laughs> among the Palestinian leadership, There was a tendency to believe uh, the Palestinian, the promises to the Palestinian side. And nowadays they're suffering from a massive disappointment, if you listen to the the statements now. But he promised. (laughs) Promised what? I mean, (laughs) that's uh, uh, something that's really ridiculous because they, they pinned their hopes on Biden, and they believed his promises, and they thought this is a new era, we're going to be friends and buddies with the U.S. They don't understand that going back to the status quo ante, which we said was a very dangerous situation, is not going to resolve anything because it's a status quo ante that led to Trumpism and led to uh, such dangerous developments uh, in our region. Now, the actual policies and implementation Of course, they must also be looked at in the context of the waning American interest, uh, not just in the region, but globally, and the declared policy and intention of the U.S. to pivot away from the Middle East, as I said. This started, remember, it was, I think, Hillary Clinton uh, during Obama days that said we have to pivot away from the Middle East and we cannot make peace. It will burn you, as you said. Uh, They started by demoting the Palestinian question and cause. They sent us a second, a third, fourth degree level envoy. They didn't meet with the Palestinians. They didn't develop an American-Palestinian policy, and we'll see how. Uh, They said the peace or any political initiative is not a priority. They postponed any engagement and put the peacemaking, so to speak, on the back burner, Uh, They committed many sins of omission, uh, buying Israel time for unilateral actions and for de facto uh, annexation. And, of course, they created a political power vacuum in in the region that Israel fills. Israel usually fills any power vacuum. And uh, they thought, (coughs) the the, uh, Biden administration thought, that they could maintain the status quo by saying, you know, let's not rock the boat, let's not uh, upset the balance of the situation. So we will support the PA and Abu Mazen to remain afloat, and and we will try to manage the conflict, and they asked Israel not to destabilize the situation. (coughs) And then they... uh, uh, maintain security cooperation and funded people-to-people programs, which is again another ridiculous concept that Palestinians and Israelis, at a certain level, can cooperate, can be funded to do some, to do some joint projects, and that will solve the problem. It's not a question that you have a settler colonial enterprise and a, a brutal occupation and. Uh, uh, ethnic cleansing, but all you need to do is get some Palestinians talking to some Israelis and cooperating and everything will be fine. And this gives uh, uh, people the excuse not to engage and not to hold Israel to account. And of course there was the, the uh, idea that this is a fragile uh, coalition government in Israel and we must protect it and we cannot put pressure on it and we cannot criticize it. And we cannot ask it to do what it cannot do because then this coalition will collapse, which is ridiculous. So they gave uh, Israel a a free pass for the sake of a very bizarre uh, coalition government in Israel, uh, including the fact that it has its token Palestinian Islamist, or as they say, the the Arab in in the uh, government, plus the the, uh, disappearing left-wing Parties. Now, the the most dangerous thing is that uh, the Biden administration allowed Israel to set the agenda and the priorities of American policy in the region. Uh, And they dealt with us only through uh, Israel, what Israel wants, like the charges of incitement, Palestinian textbooks. Israel says, look at Palestinian textbooks, they're inciting, they have a Palestinian narrative, we should adopt the Israeli narrative and history. So they objected to our history, to our narrative, and therefore this is incitement. And not just the Americans, uh, but also the Europeans dropped everything and they stopped looking at settlements and extrajudicial executions and house demolitions. No, no, the problem is with Palestinian textbooks. That's the incitement. And then they said, oh, look, there's violence there. They are encouraging violence because they are paying Palestinian prisoners and the families of Palestinian martyrs. This is Uh, This very racist and abhorrent expression of pay to slave uh, was used not just by the Israelis, but by American officials even, uh, and and, uh, Congress members. uh, And and, uh, Israel withheld our money, Palestinian customs uh, funds, uh, on the basis that uh, these funds, uh, funding the families of prisoners and martyrs, is encouraging terrorism and so on. We keep reminding everybody that since '67, not the creation of Israel, since '67, Israel has arrested no less than a million, almost a million Palestinians. And if you believe there is any kind of justice in the Israeli judicial or legal uh, uh, or prison system, you are sadly mistaken. Any Palestinian is guilty by definition, and therefore uh, we have a responsibility to these prisoners, and they are seen as freedom fighters by all Palestinians, and they will not be abandoned, nor the families of the martyrs. And they also asked permission from Israel to reopen the U.S. consulate from Jerusalem. Well, we all know it was started in 1844. It was closed illegally by uh, by executive order, of course, by Trump. You can reopen it by executive order. There is no need to keep asking for permission, and the Israelis say we can't do that because Uh, we have a fragile coalition or that the Palestinians then think that they can have a capital in Jerusalem and so on. In the meantime, they're trying to change the character and the history and the culture, the demography and the geography of Jerusalem. They also are asking permission from Israel to rejoin, if Israel doesn't mind, to rejoin UNESCO and the Human Rights Council, which is, again, uh, very strange. Uh, They adopted also Israel's policy and even the strange construct of shrinking the conflict or easing economic conditions, which again is a very feeble and and false excuse for inaction. And it shows that there is no readiness, let alone no knowledge, to address the the causes of uh, instability and, and conflict. Then there is the dissonance and disconnect between the verbal and the actual. The verbal and actual divide is very, very clear, very audible. For example, the the human rights discourse rings very hollow in in our ears, in in Palestine and in the the whole region, not just uh, pertaining to Israel, but pertaining to other violations, including Palestinian leadership violations and including Arab leaders' violations. But there is this, this new slogan now that has become a slogan, which is the Palestinians and Israelis should enjoy equal measures of freedom, security, prosperity, and democracy. I like that. Okay, so we need equal measures of freedom. Well, good morning, we are under occupation. We have no freedom whatsoever. What are you proposing to do about it? Security. We have no security. Personal, territorial, historical, cultural, economic, human, every possible way and Israel is the culprit what are you doing about it prosperity israel is stealing our land our resources controlling our freedom of movement and so on what do you want to do about it and democracy now they drop democracy uh, <laughs> gradually but if we are to enjoy equal measure then maybe we should occupy Israel maybe we should you know steal the resources i don't know for equal measure but this is again a slogan that rings hollow also because they they proceed to do exactly the opposite, to maintain and enhance the inequality and the power asymmetry. And they've allowed for the most extreme and ruthless escalation and intensification of Israeli violations, whether the assault on Jerusalem and the continued, uh, continued ethnic cleansing of Jerusalem or the military attack on Gaza with the horrific destruction and loss of human life, Settler violence, settlers are on the rampage everywhere in Palestine. The annexation and uh, expansion of settlements, the home demolitions. Home demolitions are going on at twice the rate in which they were carried out during the Trump period. During Biden, the the escalation and intensification of violations is incredible. It's enormous. And of course, the extrajudicial executions, daily killings, of our people, with full impunity. And Israel, as they say, is taking advantage of the U.S. weakness and indecision. Uh, And they're very happy that they think of the Biden administration as weak and indecisive. And they are quite happy to live with timid verbal reprimands with no consequences. This is what's happening. The rate at which the destruction is taking place and the killings and so on, is so accelerated and specified. It's it's really alarming. They're creating irreversible facts. Now, again, while while paying lip service to the two-state solution, however flawed, as I said, they are allowing Israel to superimpose greater Israel on all of historical Palestine and destroy any chance of Palestinian statehood. They're too busy elsewhere, and right now they certainly are busy elsewhere. They're going to the UN, they are the uh, condemning the use of the veto. They are doing all sorts of things. They've mobilized people to go to the ICC, for heaven's sake, that they punished us for going to the ICC. Anyway, so now they are busy elsewhere. They also, beyond that, went into Israel advocacy. They became agents of Israel in terms of combating and rejecting international legal charges and definitions, uh, like the crimes of apartheid and ethnic cleansing. They're allowing for the IHRA definition, conflating criticism of Israel with anti-Semitism. They're criminalizing BDS while allowing the boycott and punishment of Americans, American companies, firms and individuals who dare boycott Israel and the Israeli occupation, but they are punished by being boycotted in the U.S. Uh, And therefore they are violating the uh, constitutional rights of U.S. citizens not just the freedom of expression, but the right to choose to be ethical investors and consumers. It is a right, a democratic right for every American citizen. And they adopted the Israeli labels of labeling any accountability measures or curves as delegitimizing Israel, including at the UN. And we still hear the same old language that the UN should stop targeting Israel. Don't concentrate on Israel. Look elsewhere. Uh, And it's the same language still being used at the UN by the representative there. And they maintained pressure on the Palestinians not to accede to international conventions or join international organizations. Because the more you suppress Palestinian rights and oppress Palestinians, the more you maintain their vulnerability to Israel, and the more you create a cover for Israel for its violations and impunity. As you know, there are. Uh, the famous 22 international organizations that we were not supposed to join. Again, this goes back to pre-Trump and and to Obama, and it has been picked up again by by Biden. Uh, We we were punished for uh, acceding to the Rome statute and to the ICC and ICJ. Now, both of these are on hold, have been postponed. Uh, I'm sure you've read that it took them uh, six days in order to start... An investigation at the ICC of Russia and Ukraine, and it took us six years just to agree that they will open an investigation into Israeli war crimes, which are very clear and obvious and blatant. And they pursued the normalization uh, of uh, Israel's regional and Israel's regional uh, repositioning. They uh, pressed ahead very rapidly. Uh, Ambassador Tom Naiden and I want to say Tel Aviv, but he is convening meetings between the Arab representatives of normalizing countries uh, with Israel in order to uh, pursue the normalization policies and to recruit other Arab states to normalize, because this is how they think that they are making peace. They also ended up the rehabilitation of Israel within the American political system. As you know, Trump took Israel to the extreme right as uh, part of the uh, extreme GOP, and now they're trying to uh, force a bipartisan consensus on Israel back. Uh, And we see how mainstream Democrats are really excluding and undermining the progressives within their own party in order to maintain a special status of Israel within the Democratic Party also like organizations like the Democratic Majority for Israel, and you all know its impact on the DNC, the program, and the the Biden platform. They're also readjusting relations with AIPAC and other lobby groups that have gone to the extreme right, and now they're trying to rehabilitate them as well. And there's this ridiculous embrace. I don't know if you've heard when Nancy Pelosi was in Israel and she said, that Israel was the greatest political achievement of the 20th century. I don't know if I want to comment on this. Really, I don't know if it deserves any kind of attention, but uh, what else happened in the 20th century? Huh? Were there no great political achievement? Achievements in the 20th no UN, nothing, no two world wars resulting in agreements. It's only Israel that's the greatest political achievement. This is again beyond belief. And uh, of course, the the increase in the budget in the military budget, you all know how they gave them uh, extra, a few hundred million extra for the uh, Patriot missiles because Israel has the right to self-defense. Now, given all that, is there room for hope? This was the last part of the question I was asked. I mean, it's not a question of hope or optimism, It's a question of reading reality, a situation that has been subject to so much injustice and yet so many shifts and changes. But despite, now let's say, all attempts at resuscitating the attitudes and the language of the past, the status quo ante, which was in itself destructive, based on the Israel lobby and the Israeli propaganda and Hasbara that P- Palestine is part of the future. We will not be locked back in uh, the past where we are dismissed and labeled and maligned. There is a process of rehumanization taken, taking place. The narrative and cause of Palestine has become uh, central to the uh, global conversation on rights, freedom, and human dignity. This is very important. And Israel is being exposed and named for what it is. An occupation that's becoming permanent, a brutal illegal occupation, a settler colonial enterprise, an apartheid system, and worse, carrying out a displacement replacement paradigm and a rogue state. Based on an ethno-sectarian, ethno-sectarian nationalism as an exclusivist and exclusionary system, which attempts to erase the whole people, their history and their culture. All this is primarily due to a global network of solidarity, of empathy and identification, that broke the barriers of slander, intimidation, threats, smear campaigns, and of course, ascertained our common humanity rights and justice. I know it is still painful. There is still a price to be paid if you come out and and speak on behalf of the Palestinians. But there are many courageous people who are standing up, who are speaking out, and who are challenging all attempts at at, uh, silencing them and labeling them. There is, of course, this lodging of the stranglehold of mainstream and right-wing media that have dominated and controlled the uh, verbal uh, space. Uh, Social media has been very helpful, of course. Uh, Access to information is there. The relationship between knowledge and responsibility led to tremendous activism among minorities, the oppressed, the, the excluded, the maligned, and of course among people of conscience, including academics, progressive Jewish organizations, churches, and congress members who dared to challenge and taboos are being broken every day. And there is a young generation, not just in Palestine, we can talk about this, but in the U.S. that refuses to be silenced and that wants to learn the truth and that refuses to be intimidated. And these are our natural allies and partners. And the resilience of the Palestinian people in the face of horrific Israeli violence and injustice I don't want to go through all that. You know it. You know what's happening, what happened in Gaza. You know Sheikh uh, You know Silwan. You know the old city and, and Al-Aqsa and, and the Laysawiyya and Jabal Mukaber and everywhere. You know what's happening uh, in, the, well, in the face of settler criminality and, and violence. Uh, and Sebastian and uh, Beta and... Uh, Burqa and Sirt al Harithiya, all around Nablus and Jenin, as you know, and Al-Khalil, everywhere around Khalil and in Khalil, the settlers are taking havoc. All these things are happening, and yet the Palestinian people have resisted. They have stood up to We they paid a tremendous price, especially the young people there. And as you know, daily you hear about young people being killed. But all these things are becoming visible in real time, and they are debunking, Israeli lies and distortions. You see the, the young people defying and daring. And, and of course, the most <laughs> telling image, as you know, is the picture of uh, 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 Ahad Tamimi defying an Israeli soldier being uh, distributed as a young, blonde, uh, Ukrainian woman, challenging and, uh, a Russian soldier. And it became, it went viral, (laughs) and then people discovered, no, 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 this was a young Palestinian girl challenging uh, an Israeli occupation soldier. Yes, the emergence of a younger generation and activism in Palestine connected in cyberspace, able to uh, connect uh, as well, mobilizing with, with partners and counterparts on a common language of humanity and defiance, empathy and solidarity, active solidarity. These are the authentic uh, shared values, not the Judeo-Christian tradition that is really a manufactured construct, but authentic human, progressive shared values challenging erasure and fragmentation, and as I said, intimidation attempts at silencing any criticism. And what is significant also is the people's unity, that this is a source of real hope in Palestine, because we saw in May 2021, as you know during this this assault on Jerusalem and Gaza, uh, that Palestinians everywhere, in the West Bank, including Jerusalem, Gaza, and 48 Palestine, among refugees and refugee camps, among exiles everywhere in the world, among expats, there was a common language, a common cause, a common identity. They stood up along with their allies and their partners, and they defied and they spoke out and they defended the Palestinian cause and they again legitimized, not that needed legitimization, but in a sense made public the Palestinian cause and the Palestinian identity and utterance. This was very important that despite all the fragmentation, despite all the factionalism, despite all the geographical uh, uh, divides and rifts and dispersion, the Palestinians have maintained their commitment and their sense of identity and a very clear focus on their rights. And therefore, they gain the respect and support for many like-minded people. That is a new dynamic. Maybe it's not moving as fast, but it is moving. Maybe governments are failing, but the people are beginning to rise up. This dynamic is both uh, internally and globally uh, evident. There is a reconfiguration of political, economic, and military power map in the world. And of course, now we have to see the ramifications of the... Uh, what's happening in in Europe, and I'm sure that it will have a ripple effect uh, throughout the world. So there is reason to be confident. There is reason to know that the Palestinians are not going anywhere, are not committing suicide, are not committing uh, amnesia, are not uh, accepting any kind of censorship or oppression. And along with our allies and friends, we will be part of the shaping of the future. Thank, Thank you. you.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you for your infuriating update from Palestine. <laughs> and we're running – we have run out of time, but can we combine several of the questions together in one quick question? What can we do here in the States? Um, should we try to um, insist the Biden administration reopen the consulate in Jerusalem? Should we um, insist that the embassy or the the office, not the embassy, reopen here so that Palestinian ambassadors can speak all around the country the way they used to? Mm -hmm. What should we do here? Mm -hmm.
1: Well, of course, the the issue of reopening the uh, uh, consulate in Jerusalem was an issue that was a distinct promise. And uh, Biden said he will reopen it, but he's not doing it because the Israelis are putting pressure that if you do it, it means that the Palestinians want to have uh, their capital in Jerusalem. And if you uh, don't reopen it, it means that Jerusalem is all Israeli. So it is important in that sense. Politically, it is important. Many people say, well, it's not going to make any difference, Uh, but it does make a difference. To us, because it means that the toxic policies of Trump, saying that Jerusalem is united uh, and is the eternal capital of Israel, is wrong. That Jerusalem, Jerusalem is an occupied city, by the way. All of Jerusalem was Palestinian, <laughs> and as you know, uh, even West Jerusalem was part of the corpus separatum. But still, East Jerusalem was occupied in 1967. So uh, the thing is. uh, The U.S. has to liberate itself from succumbing constantly to the pressures of uh, uh, Israel and from doing Israel's bidding and adopting Israel's agenda. This is very important. Reopening the uh, Palestinian representative office in Washington, D.C. is difficult because of the longstanding tradition that we have to prove we are good little boys and girls and that we are on good behavior and so on. And uh, it, it requires certain steps, but in addition, the legislation. Congress has adopted several uh, bills and passed several bills and adopted laws that make it almost impossible to reopen the the uh, Palestine uh, mission in, in uh, Washington because of things like the Taylor Force Act and ATCA. Uh, ATCA makes any presence on, uh, official presence of uh, Palestinians in uh, the U.S. as exposing them to, they become liable to uh, any kind of uh, uh, legal measures by victims of Palestinian terrorism. As you know, so-called terrorism, there were several uh, lawsuits. This is quite a complex situation, a complicated situation, and the Bills that were adopted and the resolutions by Congress make it extremely difficult. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't push for it and we should stop this whole attitude, this whole policy of treating Palestinians as subhuman species with no rights and accepting uh, uh, Israeli conditions and by forcing and and placing within several bills and legislation uh, issues that are detrimental to Palestinian rights and to Palestinian-American relations. Okay, so that has to be done. Thank you, thank
0: you so much for speaking to us. And we're going to have to go to break now. Next time you come here, we usually say next time in Jerusalem, but next time in Washington.
1: Yeah, <laughs> thank yeah, you so I, I much. I will come. I promise. Okay, thank you very much.